I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. They're trying to censor the red wave, but a wave is a force of nature. And they can't censor it at all. It's high noon for Tuesday, November 17th, 2020. Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg were sitting in their houses, zooming in to their testimony today. And I, for one, have no idea why that is still allowed to happen. They should have to go appear at the Senate. This COVID nonsense has got to stop at some point. There is no health-related reason why these two zillionaires can't get on their own planes and fly to Washington, D.C. to appear for these. There's also no reason why the senators should be remote, but many of the Democrats continue to do it. Most of the hearing, as is usual these days, was the Democrats trying to completely muddle issues and the Republicans asking substantive questions. If you want the highlights of the testimony, and high noon today is late because I wanted to see the full thing before I started talking and my normal information download schedule was delayed because of it. But just watch Josh Hawley's questioning, Ted Cruz's questioning and Marsha Blackburn's questioning. Actually, you know what? To be fair to the Democrats, you should also watch Amy Klobuchar's questioning because she actually took her role seriously today and ask them questions related to monopoly and antitrust issues that are actually relevant and important. So good for her. If you'll remember, Klobuchar was the one senator, the one person who stayed toward the end of the primary process, who I was still supporting because I think that despite her obvious partisan pandering and complicity and corruption, she's at least a serious person who takes her job seriously. So you can kind of forgive some of the partisan nonsense because that certainly happens on both sides. But Ted Cruz went in on specific censorship issues and why it is that conservative statements are constantly tagged with the false or misleading information notices, which don't seem to afflict 
Democrats nearly as much, if at all. And so he was asking for lists and examples of of when that would happen. And he also made some statements about voter fraud that were from nonpartisan institutions saying quite clearly that mail-in and absentee balloting was open to more instances of fraud. And of course, that's been true historically and is still true now and was the reason that Republicans and specifically Donald Trump would not agree to any COVID relief package that included universal mail-in balloting so that what we can see happening in states all around this country right now didn't happen in every single state. And thank goodness for that. He also noted that the third party handling of ballots introduced more opportunities for fraud. And of course, along the same lines, the Democrats tried to open more opportunities for this. And the primary one is ballot harvesting, which is legal in California and which they tried to pass nationwide in the same initiative. There is no justification for either of those things. They're both bad. They're both harmful. They both introduce fraud into a system. It seems like people don't understand or perhaps they don't care about the sanctity of these elections. The common complaint from the left and even from the corrupted parts of the right are that the real threat to our democracy is saying bad words about the voting process. Accusing the process of widespread systematic abuse, pointing out instances of that abuse, pointing out a series of statistical impossibilities, all favoring one candidate, pointing out the fact that they have disallowed poll watchers in Pennsylvania and Georgia, among other places, pointing out the fact that there are instances of votes being thrown out on a small scale and on a large scale. Yesterday in Clark County, Nevada, they noted that 153,000 ballots were thrown out without cause or without any explanation of the cause. And then also in Nevada, they have 55,000 inactive voters on their rolls who were all sent ballots, 8,000 of those at minimum voted in this election. We've seen clear instances. I have personal friends who now live outside California who were sent mail-in ballots and those ballots were cast. And all of these things should be pointed out. And we're expected to believe that pointing these out is a major threat to the country in a way that creating systems where these sorts of fraud can happen is not a threat. And that's absolutely insane. 
And I don't think that these people have actually wrestled with or reasoned with the sorts of threats that are out there to this process. And people can't comprehend the fact that this stuff has been happening for a long time and that we don't yet know how many elections in our country, both locally and nationally, have been overturned by cheating and abuse, primarily happening in one direction as it is right now. They are convinced by the media, the media that has previewed this entire situation for the last six months, saying that the election would take longer, saying that mail-in ballots are perfectly legitimate and immune to fraud, and that they're necessary because there are poor black people who can't get IDs or request ballots, but who are also perfectly capable of sending their ballots in in the mail. And that is ridiculous. Believing something that ridiculous is a product of racism. And bringing it up in the first place is racist. Like many of the excuses that Democrats commonly use for getting really bad points into the conversation, they blame it on abuse of minorities or the quote-unquote vulnerable. And that was even present in the Senate testimony today. They often referred to anti-Muslim rhetoric as being important instances of hate speech that the platforms aren't doing enough to censor. The Democrat side was mostly interested in finding ways that censorship could be expanded rather than contracted. Maisie Hirono, who is the stupidest person ever to enter politics, I mean, listening to her talk is... It's like uh, the end of Billy Madison where they're like, I think that we're all dumber now for having heard that. But she was repeatedly asking them why they weren't doing more to shut down Donald Trump's, quote, lies. I really, really wanted one of the Republicans to step up and ask the two tech execs, what is your understanding of what makes someone officially the president-elect? And see if they were going to say, well, the media organizations called it. They did refer a bunch of times to that standard that news organizations and the Associated Press had called the race for Biden. But of course, that's not official at all. And there is nothing official right now saying that Joe Biden is the president-elect. It would have been good to hear them say that in testimony. Because the question then becomes, 
if there is no official organization certifying the votes and declaring a president, a president elect at this point, what business does Facebook or Twitter have in declaring that there is one? And it was interesting. A few days ago, people were pointing out how Donald Trump's title on his Facebook page had been changed from president to political candidate. And Joe Biden was being called president elect in many of those same spaces. He no longer is. Now he's a politician and political candidate as well. I wonder what new information they might have received between then and now that would change that. It's probably the likelihood that Joe Biden will never be president elect. But, you know, they wouldn't do this unless they thought they might face legal consequence. And of course, that's possible. It's amazing to me. That Democrats are maintaining this standpoint that the biggest threats to our democracy are Donald Trump's tweets. And the citizens expressing legitimate concern with obvious voter fraud. Every instance of voter fraud eliminates a legitimate vote. Every single vote fraudulently cast eliminates a legitimately cast vote. If you do that on a wide scale with computers, Dominion, Smartmatic, through vote switching, and it affects millions of people across multiple elections, as we know for a fact it does, that changes entire countries. Ask Venezuela where it was used to put Maduro in power. Am I making it up? No. How do you know that? Well, because I wouldn't do that, but also because you can just look it up on your own. The information is everywhere. These systems are not new. And it's amazing to me that people continue to deny this. They're like, well, will you please like just commit to saying that if they do call Joe Biden the winner, then it's legit. And I'm like, no, why would I commit to that? That's like committing to admitting that masks work when they don't work. I'm not going to commit to lying on behalf of a false sense of decorum. And it's always in such a condescending tone, like, like, hey, man, you know, I'm, I'm really looking out for you here. Like, you don't want to be coming across as, as dishonest or, or, or misinformed. And I'm like, the only people that are taking it that way are the dishonest and misinformed. So thank you for your concern. But no, I'm not going to stop saying it. This is bullshit what's happening. And thank goodness... Legitimate people are on it. 
there's a great likelihood right now that the elections in Georgia and Pennsylvania will not be able to be certified. And that may well likely be true in Nevada. And we may see that to be true in Michigan and Arizona and Wisconsin and a whole bunch of other states. And why is that? Well, that's because Democrats unconstitutionally put systems into place to introduce more fraud so that the election could be manipulated exactly the way it was. Oh, Virginia is another state they'll probably have to invalidate. And in that case, the state legislatures will decide the electors that go to the electoral college. And Joe Biden has no path to victory if it gets down to that. That is becoming a stronger likelihood every day. Hopefully, and it is my expectation, that by the time the 14th of December arrives, there will be no question in the minds of every sane and reasonable American about what's happened. Joe Biden did not receive more votes than Donald Trump. Not on a national scale and not in these battleground states. And the bold view, which I mostly ascribe to, is that it probably didn't happen anywhere. And I said that six months ago. I said Donald Trump is going to win every single place that there is not massive voter fraud. And what do we see now? Well, he won quite a few places just straight out. The battleground states that we're currently talking about consistently were subject to massive voter fraud and unconstitutional elections. Because judges and governors and secretaries of state do not set voter policy. Gavin Newsom's universal mail-in ballot was executed under an unconstitutional emergency order. That's already been decided in court. Now, the court didn't take the next step to invalidate the universal mail-in system that he installed. And fact checkers will say that it doesn't invalidate that. But I don't think that's over. And I really doubt that this is the last time we'll hear of it. But back to the Senate testimony. By the way, I just have to mention this because it was so unbelievable to witness. But Jack Dorsey said Latin X in one of his answers. Referring to, of course, Latin Americans, Hispanic people. He said Latinx, a word that they do not use and do not ascribe to themselves. But he's that committed to woke ideology and newspeak that he went ahead and said that during Senate testimony. Watching that come out of his mouth 
just above his seven-inch goatee was especially amusing. Josh Hawley went after Mark Zuckerberg specifically on a program called Tasks. It's like a a work platform. My assumption is it's probably much like Slack, just like a business coordination and productivity platform. And I'm guessing that that's probably an internal Facebook platform that they designed for their use. And Hawley noted that a Facebook whistleblower had come forward and provided him with this information. Uh, Some of it was screenshots that he put up at the testimony talking about how Facebook and Google and Twitter coordinate what accounts they would be censoring, what sort of hashtags they would be censoring and what sort of content they would be censoring. And what he was showing was that there's now this coordinated effort by those platforms to suppress particular people and particular types of speech. Now, whether or not that's legal, I do not know. But it certainly doesn't seem like a good or ethical way to go about this stuff, especially considering that these organizations like to maintain at least an air of independence from one another as if they are just pure competitors and not all serving the same interests when we know for a fact that they are. Facebook repeatedly referred to their independent fact checkers run by an organization called Pointer, P-O-Y-N-T-E-R. You all should look into the people supporting and sponsoring Pointer. It's very interesting to say the least. But the thing about these independent fact checkers is what they do is allow someone like Mark Zuckerberg to say, well, you know, that wasn't us that made that judgment. That was our independent fact checkers. And this group is is widely known to be very good at this. Even though they apply fact checks to factually true statements even though they say, as Mike Lee pointed out, that they are lacking context, that the statements, while factual, are not enough for you to come to the conclusion that they want. So in the interest of everyone, they're just going to provide context. And if that sways your view toward their point of view, no big deal. That's what the context is for. So that you don't just go around posting things that you think because that's dangerous unless you have the context that Facebook's independent fact checkers don't like what you think. And then in which case, whoever reads your stuff might get to see what the approved position is rather than the one from the person that they actually trust. And this is a problem with how we get our information now. People don't know or don't care, perhaps, 
how their beliefs are formed and like on what basis their beliefs are formed. Senator Kennedy actually went right to this issue asking uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey in turn. And I think he might've asked in the opposite order. If we're trying to be perfectly accurate here, I don't want to get fact checked, but he asked them if they have, if they believe everything that they read. And of course they both responded, no. And then he asked them, well, do you guys have like a team of people that tells you what you should believe? Or do you exercise your own judgment? And of course, they answered that they exercised their own judgment. Zuckerberg caveated that if it was business information, then he certainly hopes the people supplying him information are doing it in as accurate a way as possible. And that's all fine and good, but irrelevant to the question. The point that Senator Kennedy was making was that they don't believe for themselves that they need a team of people telling them what they should and should not believe, that they're capable of relying on their own mental faculties to be able to form beliefs. And of course, that's true and should be true for every human. And the upshot of that was that what the tech companies should be doing is adding less interference to what people are saying rather than more. And of course, that's right. The reason they've been empowered to censor so much is not to deal with actual illegal behavior. And they often brought up uh, child endangerment and terrorism as two examples where their enforcement policies were good and necessary. And there's some extent to which all reasonable people would probably agree with that. But that doesn't explain why they're allowed to shut down people who say things like the things I say, because my account was, removed from Twitter because I suggested that it might be a little retarded to start shouting angrily about coyotes, which are human smugglers across our southern border, when you don't know that's what they are which is the post that Twitter flagged and removed my account for. And yes, it was that simple. There's nothing else that I need to explain about that. I've talked about it on an earlier episode. But they said that that was hateful conduct against a group of people with a mental illness, I guess, which tells me that They think mentally ill people are retarded, which is not what I said. I was directing my comment at a 
blue checkmark verified country singer who was acting abusively toward someone else I follow. And so what else could have gotten my account taken down besides my political persuasion? And of course, there is nothing else. It was exactly that. And I knew it was going to happen. And now it's been almost a month that my Twitter account has been down. And Jack Dorsey talked about how the appeal process needs to be improved. I've appealed it multiple times. Have I gotten a response? Of course not. But the way this sort of censorship seeped into these platforms was through specific direct force and action by one side of the political conversation. This was done by journalists and people in academia and tech and entertainment constantly bitching to enforce political correctness codes. And if you followed along on these platforms for the last five or so years, you could easily have watched all of that develop in real time as I did. And so those speech codes that people like me warned about back then now get to include whatever they want, including disinformation about elections and COVID. Whether or not what's being posted is actually disinformation. Because, of course, it's not disinformation. It's just the other side of the argument that they don't like. Saying that masks don't work is not disinformation. It's a verifiable fact. But it doesn't correspond to what their goals are. So it becomes disinformation by their choosing. And that's the problem with all of this. Hawley also went after Zuckerberg about a platform they use called Centra. Now, I'm not sure if that's the exact name of the platform. And Mark Zuckerberg quite clearly tried to skirt the issue by saying, that he's not familiar with a platform by that name. But I encourage everybody to watch this testimony because what that platform does is absolutely chilling. It follows every single thing you do, all the messages you send, and all the people who receive them, the things you say, the things they say, the places you go. It is the centralization of all the tracking data that Facebook has access to and can act upon. I think on some level, we all understand that Facebook can do this. And of course they can. They can do it. Let's say you're on a dating app, right? And the dating app has to know your location to know who's around you. So you leave it on all the time. So that when you travel to different locations, you can see different people, right? So it knows where you go all the time. It also knows, because it's connected to Facebook, 
exactly what your demographic information is, your age, your race, your education, your high school, your family members, what you did for your first job, your second job, what sports teams you might like, what music you might like, what movies you might like. It has access to all of that. But it also has access to your location data so it can know what coffee shops you visit, what grocery store you shop at, who your doctor might be, what friends you might see, what gym you work out at. It can know everything. Because we have these apps that we sign into through Facebook. Facebook has all our demographic information. And then these apps feed Facebook back all the new information that they generate. And that's probably no problem, right? I mean, of course it is because that's the exact sort of information that allows them to target you with advertisements, including political messaging. And if you don't think the campaigns can purchase access to that and try to figure out exactly which people need to see exactly which political information in exactly which sort of packaging that might best influence them, then you're being naive. And if you don't think that Facebook has the power to limit your reach and the things you're allowed to say on those same bases, you're naive once again. Watch Josh Hawley and you'll see quite clearly what exactly they're able to do And then you'll see Mark Zuckerberg deny any responsibility and refuse to provide the information to the Senate that might help the country better understand what's actually happening with their data and with their ability to have presence and free speech on these platforms. Hawley even said, you know, we can subpoena this, right? I would rather just have you answer it now. And Zuckerberg still declined to answer. The shit is bad. And getting back to how the beliefs are formed. I want to talk about this for a second and then I'll end on this. But let's imagine a scenario. Where you had to choose what's behind door number one and what's behind door number two. And you're allowed to ask your friends, look it up online, do whatever you need to do. The common practice with Biden voters, and I'm sure a lot of Trump voters, but specifically lazy people, ignorant people, is to put in a minimal amount of effort And then believe things on bad bases. So imagine on the left side of the room, we're staring at door number one and door number two. On the left side of the room, our contestant turns, sees a bunch of their friends. And they're, of course, just staring down at their phones. Maybe they're filming themselves being like, oh my God, it's so exciting. Is she going to choose door number one or door number two? And they're texting. 
or they're liking shit on Instagram or they're watching TikToks. You know, very responsible activities when big decisions confront their friends. Like, yeah, I understand that this decision is important, like for you, but I'm going to be fine either way. And have you seen this new dance on TikTok? It's so funny. You got to see it. Oh, you don't have TikTok because it's Chinese malware? That's a conspiracy theory. And so you snap at them a couple of times and say, hey, guys, guys, like, can you just uh, help me for two seconds? I just I need some input on whether or not it's door number one or door number two. Can you all just put down your phones for two seconds and, and focus on me? OK, and five or six of them listen and do that. The other ones are just like, they'll be fine. I'll just nod. I don't want to get involved in someone else's decision. Far be it for me. So you turn to one and you say, hey, I know you're an artist and like you really feel like you have vibes about a lot of things. Which which door do you think is good? They're like, oh, I think door number one. They turn to their friend. Hey, you're a really uh, successful influencer. You know, you really have a uh, an idea about knowing what people want to see from you. And how you should act to influence their behavior. What do you think? They're like, honestly, door number one is really hot these days. So you're like, okay, these are interesting answers. All right. And then you turn to some of your friends who are maybe businessmen or lawyers or people with some more intellectual heft behind their answers, generally speaking. And you say, hey, what do you think? Door number one or door number two? And one of your friends who's always talking about everything all the time says, give me a second. I'm going to I'm going to Google this. They look it up. And they're like, well, everybody is saying door number one. And there's a study here from Harvard that says when confronted with this situation, Most college-educated white people choose door number one. So, I mean, I'm a college-educated white person, and so are you. I think that they probably know what they're talking about, so I'm going to say door number one. Then someone else pipes in and says, I've actually done some extensive study on the two-door problem, and there really only is one choice. It's... It's door number one from my experience. And then someone's like, well, yeah, of course it's door number one. Like you're not even allowed to say it's door number two. That's that's disinformation. So you're like, well, yeah, man, I guess it's got to be door number one. Huh? And then you turn to the right and there's one person over there. And uh, you trust that person. You know, that person's really honest. And you know that they're constantly trying to understand things and really look into things. And you know they have your best interest at heart in a situation that you say is important to you. That's what trust is. 
you're going to give them the best answer for them as you see it rather than thinking about how it might affect you. And you turn to that person and you say, hey, what's your thoughts on this whole uh, door number one, door number two thing? And the person says, well, you know, while you were talking to the others uh, and while they were all like busy looking at their phones and I know that you were kind of consumed with their little jokes and their little side comments and you guys were all giggling and you were complimenting each other and stuff. I actually, uh, I, I went over and I, I looked inside door number one and I looked inside door number two and, uh, behind door number one, there's a really scary looking guy with a chainsaw and behind door number two, there's a check with your name on it. And it has a million dollars. So, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm not not trying to judge the guy behind door number one. Maybe he's not a vicious killer, even though it did look like he was wearing a skin suit and had like a a weird mask. I'm just going to call it weird because I don't want to get graphic and gory, but it kind of also smelled like dead things. And uh, as soon as I opened the door, he like started the chainsaw. And now maybe there are trees back there that I didn't see. But I just got a bad feeling from the guy. So I closed door number one. I checked out door number two. It's got a million bucks on a check addressed to you. I really feel like door number two is the one. And then... Everybody on the left side of the room is like, what the fuck? That is so stupid. No one's allowed to go behind the doors and actually see what's back there. (laughs) That's not even the point of this game. The point of this game is figuring out which team is right and then going with that team. It's not knowing what the result is going to be and then picking the result. You got to like choose a side, man. And like, look at all these people over here. You're going to tell us that we're all wrong. I looked it up on the internet. That person read a study from Harvard about it. That person got bad vibes. This person is like totally ready to photograph you choosing door number one in the best possible way. And like, we all know that it's harmful for everyone to even say that it's door number two. So what the hell are you thinking? You can't listen to that person. And you're like, yeah, but you know, I I've known that person for, for 15 years and always found them to be knowledgeable and trustworthy and have a pretty good read on how things go. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right, man. I just, I don't know if I have the courage to go against all of these very well-meaning, very attentive, very knowledgeable friends who did the four seconds of internet searching that I didn't do. But yeah, they're saying it. And man, I really have heard that door number one is is just what good people do. So you turn to fucking Pat Sajak or Drew Carey or whoever... 
and you say, you know what? I'm going to choose door number one. And Pat Sajak says, wow, you know, I can see you've really carefully considered this situation and weighed the odds. And you're depending on people that you really trust, even though they're looking at their phones again. But here we go. You're dead. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a Substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate, or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!